Um, if you will, if you'll uh, grab the basket at the end of your row and pass it down for the offering this week, that would be great. Um, a little quick commercial. We've got small groups that are starting up at the end of the month. Um, many of you or a lot of you are in groups that are continuing on from this fall, which is great. Uh, I'd love for you to be sure you connect with uh, the person facilitating your group and uh, find out any details you need to know there. Um, and we've got a handful of groups that are starting up anew. You know, small groups are a big part of who we are at Vintage. It is the this place that we come together, you know, the New Testament kind of depiction of this Acts church. You know, our, our name is Vintage 242, based on Acts 242, this community, right, that was this body that lived out Christ's ways. And a big part of what we see in this New Testament community is how these people lived in a community, how they cared for one another, how they shared their life with one another, how they dialogued, encouraged and built one another up and dove into the truths of God to be revealed in their life. And that is a big part of who we are as a church. And the big part of who we are as a church in that direction is for you guys to be involved in a group. So uh, we'd love for everybody that comes here that calls Vintage their home church, or even if you're just a regular visitor, to, to dive into one of these groups. If you need help finding one of those, you can go online and see the groups that are open and have availabilities. If you, if you struggle with the night of the week, then see me, and I'll see what I can do to uh, help you find a group. So um, how many of you were here last week? You heard me speak, if you did, a number of you. Uh, we really kind of unpacked. Um, this term wisdom, right? And we looked at wisdom as a lowercase w that it's this practical knowledge of growing some experience and then these people that have experience being able to look at patterns and different things in the world and give really healthy advice and it's an incredibly valuable thing. I use this analogy of, you know, would I buy this house? And then, you know, it looks really good and then I ask a realtor to look at the house and he says, man, you're going to spend this much money just fixing the pool, you know, and the wisdom that would come from Seeking that counsel and advice. And then we looked at this capital, what I call capital W wisdom, which is this biblical wisdom. And biblical wisdom is what scripture says, what calls the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is just how big, how powerful, how enormous the God that created everything, that created the universe is. And if we live our life with this fear of the Lord, applying this wisdom to our lives, then we'll find that this fear of the Lord is this antidote to what grips us mostly in our life, these worries, these fears that we have. Most of us probably don't live a day without having some worry and concern that really kind of stirs who we are and what we're about and really causes us to focus and plan and dream, maybe even a negative way of what could take place. Well, the fear of the Lord that if God is with us and he is fully capable and he is all powerful and he has plans to bless us and and have our life be to experience a fullness of life, then wouldn't it make sense to follow his command? Do not worry. This command that's most common command in Scripture. Do not be afraid. For I am with you. Yet somehow we find ourselves being fearful way too often. And so in that same context, we looked at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And so let's look at that again this morning, because we're going to continue in that mindset. Romans chapter 1, as I read it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's perfect will is, 
his good, pleasing and perfect will. Anybody want to know God's will? Good, perfect, pleasing will. And in all the different decisions and all the different directions you take and all the things you're going about, you say, okay, want to know that one. I want to know what God, what God, what's your will in this thing? Right? And we look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, and we see here's this pattern. We want to know God's will. This is what we look at, you know, the beginning part of verse 2. Then do not think any longer in the way that you're used to thinking. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means the way we're used to thinking, for instance, if we're always worrying about things and not imagining and applying the reality of who, how big God is, right? Using that wisdom, then transform the way that you're thinking and think about how big God is and that God is with you. And it will be an antidote to these fears. In this same way, we should be consciously aware of the things that we're thinking if we're going to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is the recipe for what the Lord puts before us. This is our spiritual act of worship. So what we look at is that, you know, the mind is the battlefield. The mind is the place that all these thoughts come in and they're either thoughts of life or typically thoughts of death. So to constantly ask yourself where what is this thought leading to and what is the wisdom behind this thought is a very wise question. And what we're going to look into this morning is one of the things that scripture would have us dwell on and have us continue to think about. You know, we're all enamored by things that are beautiful or that are very well done. We're entertained by things that are amazing to us. You know, so we watch the Olympics and we see people that have trained for years and years and given their life to training to be able to do these flips and twirls and twists or to swim this fast and swim faster than everybody else who's been training. We love gazing upon excellence. We love it. It entertains us. You know, we, some people have different tastes. They love to watch sports. They love to watch the NFL football game and want me to end quickly so we can get out of here. Other people, um, you know, are being nudged right now that because they're ready to get out and the wife's like, no, you don't need to watch football again today. Other people may be enamored by art, may be enamored by how pretty things look, may be enamored by something that doesn't, you know, interest you. I think that's the definition of a boring person is someone who wants to talk endlessly about the thing that they're most interested in that is not at all interesting to you. Right. And so hopefully I'm not going to get boring. But the reality is we are enamored by things that are excellent. And God made us that way. And is it any wonder that God has a plan for us to recognize who he is and to have our hearts and our lives be enamored by his presence. Right. So we're going to look into this glory of the Lord and the presence of God. And I'm going to I'm going to read a few less scriptures than I did in the first service. So we went through a lot for anybody who was here last week that maybe didn't think I covered enough scripture. We've more than made up for it at the nine o'clock. Um, so I'm going to pass through a few of these. But we're going to start with this kind of uh, with Ezekiel. Ezekiel was this prophet of the Lord, right? And he comes into the presence of God. And as he comes into the presence of God, it's described in chapter one as this fire, this cloud of fire and lightning. And as he looks upon the Lord, he, he sees him like this glowing metal, right? And he falls on his face as though dead in the presence of this being before him. 
And he sees these four living creatures. And, and one of the things that is, <laughs> is fascinating to me, as he, as he sees these four living creatures, let me read this one verse to you. They were spread out above the heads of these living creatures was what looked like an expanse sparkling like ice and awesome. Now, does that not just sound like a West Coast surfer to you? Is that, you know, he's piercing, he's, he's looking into heaven, and what he sees is the wings of these four creatures. They're spread out with this great expanse, and it looked like some kind of ice stuff, and awesome. I mean, no like, nothing, just, it was just awesome, right? I mean, there were no words to describe what he was seeing and what he was experiencing, but he looked upon this being that was like glowing metal and like flames of fire, and he fell down on his face as though dead. One of the most famous passages about the glory of the Lord, as we look back into the book of Exodus, chapter 33, we, many of you know the story of Moses when he's up on the mountain. And he's come before the Lord and he's asking, you know, he's dialoguing with the Lord in chapter 33. We've already seen in, ver- in chapter 24 that from the people down in the valley looking up on the mountain, they could see that the presence of the Lord was like a cloud. And they described it like a fiery cloud with lightning flashing is what it looked like to them. And now here we are with Moses up on the mountain in chapter 33. And Moses is having this dialogue with the Lord and he's asking the Lord, if you have if you are pleased with me. If you are pleased with me, then teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. It's in verse 13. If you are pleased with me, then teach me your ways that I might know you and find favor with you. As we kind of skip down a little bit further. We see that Moses then asks the Lord in verse 18. He says, now show me your glory. Let me continue. I'll begin reading in verse 19. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. For no one may see me and live. And then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until until I have passed by. Then I will come remove my hand and you will see my back. But you must not see my face. It must not be seen. Amazing. Imagine yourself in the place of Moses. If you want to understand scripture, this is a great way to study scripture. Find the character that the story is being told about and put yourself in their shoes. Imagine things that they may be experiencing, what thoughts they may be having. So here's the Lord saying, my presence is so great that you cannot see my face and live. But because I found favor with you, I will honor your requests I will show show you a portion of my glory. I'll put you in this crack in a rock and I'll pass by with my hand over your face. And in the last second that you have the ability to see me, you'll see my backside going by. But you may not see my face. It is too much for you to handle. That is this glory of the Lord. It's this amazing. This is the understanding that the people of Israel had about the presence of God. They were emphatically given to, and just like, you know, a 
professional athlete is focused on his task, a person who grew up in the Jewish faith in these days was gave themselves to pursuing and knowing the Lord with all diligence because they knew that the presence of the Lord was this vastness that the mind can hardly comprehend. He was awesome. His presence was barely describable, even written out in detail from some other experiences. And so they gave themselves to want to seek and to know this presence of the Lord, to have an experience like one of these greats of old. We see in Isaiah that the Lord says that, how can I defame my own name by allowing someone else to experience my glory? I will not share my glory with another. It would defile who I am to share my glory with another. And so as we see in Scripture, we see this recurring kind of theme where the Lord says, everything that I do, I do for my glory, right? I do everything for the glory. It is not you that do this work. It is I will do this work and see what I will do, and I will do it all for my glory. And if we look at that, it sounds like this great contradiction that, that the Lord would be this very selfish God. But we see that God is not selfish. He is very loving. So how loving of the Lord to not allow these things that he is doing to be just for our benefit. Because if they were something to only be able to be done for our benefit, then we would be at the very center of God's theology. And God cannot share his glory with another. Therefore, he has to be, he is the only good, great, perfect thing. And therefore, he has to be the center of his, of, of theology. Or else we've made ourselves into God. And we've not worshipped the one true God. And we do this in minor ways on a regular basis. And this is a big part of what we're addressing. Is that what are the thoughts that we should be thinking? What are the things that the Lord has in store for us? As to, if, if we're to give ourselves as a living sacrifice, as an act of worship before him, being transformed by the renewing of our mind, what are the thoughts that we should be having to replace the thoughts that we have been having? And part of this reality is that every one of us, wherever we are, we find ourselves being tempted by things that look great to us, that look perfect to us, that look appealing to us. It goes back to the garden. Where Eve looked at the, at the apple and she saw that it was good for gaining wisdom. It was pleasing to the eye and it looked good to her. And so she took it and ate it. What is the apple that we live with on a daily basis? The Lord, if we're, if we're going to live our life as a living sacrifice, is inviting us to ever keep that thought before us. What are the things that you're looking at to see lovely and pure? Because those are the things that you will... Everything within you will want to gaze upon. But the Lord is calling his people to recognize who he truly is. And how great and how unbelievable his glory is. That when men experienced it, they fell on their faces, though dead. Have you ever gotten so excited in, by your team scoring a touchdown that you fell down on the floor and laid still as though dead? Because you were so overwhelmed with excitement of what you just experienced. No. Now, you know, you may have jumped up and down and clapped and high fived. 
But what we what I want you to see here is that the presence of the Lord, as we see in Psalm 16, 11 in Psalm 16, 11 reads, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. See, the Lord's presence is this great thing that he invites us to fix our eyes upon. This author and perfecter of our faith is inviting us to life and life in the full. He's inviting us to gaze upon him because in his presence is joy. In his presence is joy that we can't even hardly understand. And in his presence are pleasures forevermore. Anybody want pleasures forevermore? Then why not have the apple in our mind be this very effort to give ourselves to being transformed into his likeness? Being transformed into the very things that he would call us to focus on and believe in, which were the very things that he was called to focus on and believe in. Jesus says, I... I simply do what I see the Father doing and say what I hear the Father saying. I simply live my life to be obedient unto the faith. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Jesus to us. If you love me, you'll obey me. And for those who have obeyed me, then I will reveal myself to them. And this love that the Father has for me, I will place in them. In his prayer in John chapter 17, we're going to look at this. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying this amazing prayer that we're seeing fulfilled. This is good news for us, for you and me. John chapter 17, Jesus says, my prayer is not just for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. That they might be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity. To let the world know that you sent me. Did any light bulbs go off when I just read that? Here's a God that says, I do not share my glory with another. And Jesus' prayer to the Father Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me. This is good news. This is a turning point in the history of creation. That the Lord has not does not share his glory with another, but through the prayer and through Christ, Christ's desire is that we have the glory of God shared with us. That the very glory of God, that the very presence of Christ himself come and be alive within us. And that we would become one as Jesus is one with the Father. Jesus fully knowing the glory of the Father and having expressed and seen the glory of the Father since before the world was created. Jesus says now through the indwelling, my indwelling presence, we call the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to connect and commune with God and experience this thing that is beyond comprehension, beyond what men that have tasted from afar been able to see and describe into words as awesome. 
And that's just a glimpse of what we can know it to be. Friends, this is good news because this spirit of God coming to dwell within us is this plan that God has to be loving to us. He was the one that created us to gaze upon beauty and be enamored with it and be drawn to it and be consumed by it and give ourselves and all our attention toward it as we see something be very beautiful and appeasing. And he wants that very apple that's before us to be himself. And that is loving. Because there is nothing greater in all of creation than the presence and the glory of God. And because he is a loving God, he wants us to have this experience of dwelling on his presence and seeing his glory. And the way in which he does that is he fills us with his spirit and by filling us with his spirit, then we become one. The fulfillment of Jesus prayer is taking place. We become one with him just as he was one with the father. And so upon our death, upon this opportunity, we get to know the fullness of God. We get to commune with God. Because the spirit of God has come alive within us. So if this God is so loving that he wants the absolute best for us, he he won't allow us to have substitutes of good things or things that we may see to be great. He wants the best thing to be given to us because that's what that's who he is. That's why he created us, that we know the best of who he is and that we spend our lives in worship and in awe of this amazing God. That's the best thing we can do. And so he wants the best for us. And so he gives us his presence and he invites us. To live our lives toward him. Now, if I had to ask everybody to raise your hand and say, are you are you absolutely confident? A hundred percent of who you are is absolutely living for the glory of God. Don't raise your hand. But. I don't know that we would have a whole lot of confident hands go up. Twenty four seven. You're never missing out on the opportunity to have this renewed mind that God is inviting you to, to keep the pursuit of his glory and his presence and his goodness as the carrot out ahead of us, drawing us and wooing us to this abundance of life. And too often we replace that carrot with an apple that looks good to us or feels good in the moment or is appealing to the mind. And we fall for the same apple as Eve. But the Lord says, I've got good news for you. I'll send my spirit to come and live inside of you. And the spirit of God longs for the glory of God to be revealed in creation. And so this spirit that can live within us can consume us and grow us into the likeness of Christ, being renewed to the very nature of our creator. As scripture would tell us in Colossians. And Paul gives us these instructions in Colossians. If you want to look at this, look at Colossians chapter three. He gives us these instructions. Do don't don't think anymore. Don't be concerned anymore with the things of this world. Instead, be consumed with these things that the Lord has before us. Be consumed with these what God has in store for your life in experiencing his presence And then you can live boldly and confidently knowing that he is God and he is ever before you. 
And he has great plans for you to experience an abundance of life. So if this God is so loving, then wouldn't it make sense for him to say things like, well, the glory of the Lord is the greatest thing that they can experience. And everything else is a very cheap substitute. If I lead them to this, then I must ask them to die to this. So wouldn't it make sense that he would say things like daily? Take up your cross and die to yourself. Would it make sense that he would say to his disciples, love one another. And by this, they will see that you are my disciples because you're following in who I am. I am a God who loves and I have paid every price possible to restore this relationship that we can experience the goodness of who he is. But oh, how often do we find ourselves enamored by the things of this world? That lead us not to the paths of life. That lead us not to the ways of knowing the Lord. And isn't it an opportunity to follow in this pattern of these heroes of the faith? That as we look at the Jewish culture and the Jewish tradition, there's this, there's this term Shema. And the Shema is, a pas- is, is three different passages found in the Old Testament. But the beginning passage we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, let me turn and read to you. If I can find it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on, the, and on your gates. Keep these things Ever before you, you know, there's this there are these three passages, as I said, in the Old Testament. And and one of the passages talks about a prayer cloth that you should wear. And and one of the tassels on this prayer cloth that were instructed has a blue and a white tassel. And the significance of this blue and a white tassel refers back to the Shema. They they were so enamored by having their mind set on the things of God that they wanted to think about and recite the Shema all of the time. And so one of the great debates was, how early in the morning can I begin reciting the Shema? Oh, Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love, Jesus adds, to love your neighbors yourself. But they were so enamored by this, they wanted to give themselves, they wanted their mind to dwell on this. And so they asked, how early in the morning can I start this? And, and it, the text says that when you can just... Distinguish the difference between the white and the blue. Now you have enough light in the day to begin reciting the Shema. So they would wait outside looking at this tassel in their hand. And as they could, the light would come bright enough that they could distinguish the two. They would begin reciting the Shema and they would go to bed and they would recite the Shema again before they went to sleep. It was one of the great thoughts in in this Jewish culture was that the first words on a child's lips should be God. And one of the last things that they say before they die, their minds were fixed upon the Lord and who he is 
and his presence and how good God is and how big God is and how God is everything. And we are to live our lives and worship to him. Friends. God has the very same invitation to you and me. And where we miss applying that invitation into our minds on a daily basis, asking the Lord for wisdom. Ask me and I'll give it to you, he says. When we give ourselves to being transformed by this renewing of our mind and placing God as everything before us. Wouldn't perspective on your daily actions change? Wouldn't life look different? Yet again, John 10, 10, Jesus says, The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it to the full. And I have given you my spirit to come and live inside of you, to be a seal upon your heart. And my prayer is that you can be one, that you can be unified with myself and the Father and know the fullness of who he is. Isn't that something that we should give ourselves to? Isn't that wise to ask ourselves, what are the thoughts going through my mind? To have that wise question ever on your lips, what are the thoughts going through my mind? And replace whatever those thoughts are with an opportunity to say, Lord, you are God. Earnestly, I seek you. With everything I have, all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength, lead me to love you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that this glory that is ever before us, that may be hidden from us in the moment that our, our eyes cannot see, Lord. I just pray for your anointing on your people, for your spirit to raise up within us as we say yes and again to you every day, periodically through the day. Here, O world, the Lord is one. And you speak to your own soul, saying, love the Lord God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Lord, do you not have plans for your people to prosper as we live with you ever before us? Thank you, Jesus, that you paid this incredible price to love us and to invite us to obey you. And by obeying you, Lord, expressing this love to you, this love that clearly we see through Scripture that is called life. Lord, where there are broken dreams and lost hopes, you want to say life. You want to speak the word life. And when you speak, things are created. You said, let there be light. And there was light. Let there be as vastness as ocean and water. And there was water. Let there be land. And there was land. And Lord, you invite us to speak life and to focus on the life that you came to give. That you are loving. You are precious. Be the author 
Be the perfecter of this faith you're welling up within us. And lead us in your ways. Or just as Moses said, teach me your ways that I might know you. And now show me your glory. Wow.